0: It's time to sit back and relax with your favorite drink. And listen. It has been said that all television is educational television. The real question is, what is it teaching us? Two terrifying tales of terror for you on this delightful evening. First up we have... There's a reason we can't watch TV after 8.30pm, and it's not because of the watershed. If someone is reading this, and I hope someone is because I'll be lobotomized soon and forced to forget everything. I want to prove my innocence. I spent so many years locked in this sanitarium and all for protecting the children from that monster of a man. But now it seems I've fallen into the hands of his creation. Please get this out so the children will be safe from the man of a thousand faces. Back when I lived in the small town of Arkham, Massachusetts, there was little I could do at ten years old other than indulge my love of TV. Oh, I loved it so much. It's a shame that it was muscled out by the internet. I remembered my misspent shadow days just sat there in front of the beautiful box. Whether I was watching my favorite weekend cartoons or tuning into game shows right after school you'd be hard-pressed to find a day when i wasn't in front of the set however like many other children around the area in which i lived i was forced away from my precious tv at 8:30. the main reason was due to the watershed ending now i'd argue bordering on straight up fighting with my mom to let me watch until 10 p.m but i was always told no and that if i kept on watching the tv past that time the man of a thousand faces would find and kidnap me never to be seen again i personally didn't believe in the urban legend but both my parents and even grandparents were adamant of his existence i would go to school and feel left out as my friends would tell me of the cool shows that were broadcast past watershed like the outrageous saturday night live or wwf yet none of them had ever seen the man of a thousand faces on the 20th of february i remember walking to school and seeing a flyer stuck to a post As always the flyer was a missing person report this wasn't uncommon sadly but i developed a passion for collecting these flyers missing kelly roon disappeared on the 15th of february last seen watching tv at her dad's house i grabbed the flyer and shoved it into my pocket to present to my friends at school i had after all sat next to kelly all of last year felt it only right to get her disappearance noticed I guess I understood why a small girl who was known to have an alcoholic dad and attempted to run away before might not seem like the work of a fairy tale man living in the TV but well this felt off a few children had disappeared from around our town and were usually found departed just outside the industrial estate the first few disappearances went under everyone's radar But when a child named Tyler McMolly, rest his soul, was taken, it shook the town. Tyler was the first child who was found alive, if you could call it that. His body was covered entirely with puncture holes that led into his veins. His veins themselves seemed all but collapsed, but he was missing both a kidney and his liver. Apparently his very last words were, Don't let the man of a thousand faces get me. But this was from an unreliable source, so Take that as you will. I overheard the stories that circulated, and soon they gave birth to the urban legend of Tyler McMolly. One our popular story that kids told on the playground went that one night Tyler was watching his favorite TV show marathon on Cartoon Network. When the clocks turned to eight thirty, Tyler was sent to bed, angry and defiant. Well, Tyler waited for his parents to go to bed, and then he made his move. Like a ninja, he silently slipped out of bed and threw the crack in his door softly tiptoed down the stairs and into his living room, where he turned on the TV. Tyler sat down with a remote in one hand and a few chocolate bars that he'd stashed away, and he began searching the channels. After a while, Tyler kept seeing a character that was dressed in the same suit, but had a different person wearing it that corresponded to the show. A prime instance was the black and white checkered suit that was worn by a news anchor, and then in the next program, there was a children's show with a person's head replaced with a puppet. Tyler became more and more discomforted by this, but continued looking through the shows until the early hours of the morning. When Tyler's parents woke up at 7am, they were in fits of panic. Tyler had vanished from the house. The only thing left of him was the TV remote, a few chocolate bars and his imprint in the chair. The neighbours and the police were no help either. Everyone just assumed Tyler had run away until they found his barely living body that morning. The story did its rounds of the playground like any normal horror story would, and from that day on, I began collecting the flyers. When I presented the flyer to my friends and told them the man of a thousand faces that had captured another child, well, they all laughed at me, no one more so than my best friend. Now, my best friend was a guy named Robert, and he, for one, definitely didn't believe in the man of a thousand faces. In fact, he would actively scrutinize me for even talking about him. Robert was what you'd call a no-nonsense person with a very forceful attitude to boot, so much so that the nickname he had until his untimely passing was Bossy Bart. As part of a plan to show me this man of a thousand faces was a fabrication, Robert invited me to a sleepover at his house. Once I'd arrived at the house, we began watching TV up until we were told to turn it off by his parents. Robert mockingly said, Oh, we know we'll risk being kidnapped by the man of a thousand faces Robert scoffed at his parents and continued to proclaim that we were adults now and we should be able to watch the good post-watershed programs when his mother became adamant well, not wanting to be sent back home myself I dragged Robert to his room though be it through his angered gritted teeth as we sat in the decent-sized bedroom I decided to recite a horror story based on my interpretation of the Man of a Thousand Faces. I believe he must have been a former TV personality who one day upset the wrong people by calling a family irresponsible or something. Then, as he left his show set, he was kidnapped. The people who jumped him drove him out to the now empty industrial district, where they beat him and left him in a blood heap, but alive. Fate, however, had a different idea. A large, loose piece of roof fell onto his neck, severing his head. And now, in death, his spirit takes children away from irresponsible parents to show them a better future. And those who'd rather return home would end up dead and stripped of their organs for the other children to eat. Word for word, Robert said, What a load of bull. (laughs) That's put me right asleep. The unimpressed tone ringing from his voice. I angrily turned to face the wall to sleep. I didn't need to talk to him during this sleepover after all. Just before I did fall asleep, I saw Robert stand up and mutter something like, I'll prove it's false. I was woken violently by Robert shaking me. Through my haze, I could see his face looking twisted and distorted through the dark. He almost looked like he was about to die from fear. In my sleepy state i attempted to ask what was going on but all robert did was begin to rock back and forth crying about the man of a thousand faces and just how really was before i could do anything a large snapping sound rang throughout the house and robert went still the once fear-filled boy that was robert now stood up completely frozen without making a sound robert quickly walked to his door and slipped through first to the landing and then down the stairs he silently moved into the living room where his giant TV shone a disheartening static around the room as Robert approached the TV a program began to play through the heavy static of the screen the show looked like something from a network access channel which seemed strange as Robert's family had satellite TV the TV showed a shot of a table seating around 10 children Four on each side, two sitting opposite each other on the ends. Robert, seemingly bewitched, began to climb through the living room window, walking towards the industrial district that was just beyond the highway behind his house. As I watched my best friend mindlessly walk through the darkened hours of the morning, both in his PJs and barefoot, I knew he had to be hypnotized or something. After staying a safe distance to Robert we came to a small storage building that sat nestled behind the much bigger looking corporate warehouses Robert entered and began climbing through a metal trap door that lay open on the back wall as I walked forwards I could see the door slowly closing so I made a dash for it sliding under the door I fell about five feet onto a lush felt carpeted floor the area I'd landed in resembled a long funhouse style corridor with multiple morph doors that radiated different bright colors and had neon lights peeking from the cracks. I could see Robert entering a door at the far end of the corridor. and I began to run as fast as my legs could take me, but the more I ran the further the corridor seemed to stretch. I stopped running and collapsed from exhaustion. The taste of copper filled my breath as my lungs heaved back and forth as I raised my head to assess how far the ever-extending corridor had become I fell forward and landed on the door the door itself was designed to look like a rainbow having all the colors converge into a white circle in the center of the door and above the door was an off-red bulb and a sign that said when lights turn red no admittance I opened the door and slowly entered a large room roughly the size of a school gymnasium in front of me were two giant bleachers filled with what looked like crudely cut out children and their parents. A loud buzzer filled the room, and in a panic, I rushed underneath the closest bleachers. I looked over the large area between the cutouts and saw an area that resembled that of an old TV kid show. The show's setting was of a large birthday party with a long white table splitting the set in half. Sat at the table were ten kids, all of who were dressed up smartly like they were adults. A lanky man in a black and white checkered suit swiftly walked from out of the darkened back walls towards one of the four cameras that were stationed around the area. I knew instantly that this was the man of a thousand faces, yet his head looked normal, almost indistinguishable to any other person you'd meet in the streets. It was almost too normal. The man of a thousand faces looked directly into the camera and began to speak. His voice was unnervingly soft, and I could only describe it as sounding like the actor Crispin Glover. Welcome, children, to today's episode of Frankie's Fun Time. This episode is called Sharing is Caring. A loud, comical jingle began to echo through loudspeakers set around the area. The music began to loop as the man of a thousand faces began to dance along. The music stopped and a canned laughter track of children began to play. The man of a thousand faces stopped dancing and once again began to address the camera. Children, today we have a new friend joining my party table. Let's hear some noise for young Robert Powell. The canned claps and cheers once more filled the area, almost deafening me. I was forced to cover my ears or risk permanently damaging them. A large multi-colored prop door was quickly rolled from the darkness behind the set to just behind the table by a man dressed like a 19th century clown and robert burst from the door his arms stretched open wide as if ready for a hug and with a wide purposeful smile stretching across his face more canned cheering began that was even louder than before how could no one notice this noise I tried to focus on Robert, but then I noticed something was off. He'd been given a new set of clothes instead of the pyjamas he'd worn when he came in. He now wore a suit that looked professionally tailor-made and resembled something you'd wear to perhaps a wedding or a formal gathering. The man of a thousand faces walked over to Robert and began speaking into his microphone. Well, Robert, we're very happy to have you here on the show. Now, as you can see, the party table is full, so it's time for someone to go home but first the decision game what shall it be the microphone was pushed in front of Robert who looked almost in pain from his smile oh uh, duck duck goose shouted Robert the speakers erupted again with hundreds of children shouting duck duck goose the man of a thousand faces twisted his neck sharply and removed his head A clown from earlier clumsily ran onto the set and attached a taxidermy goose head onto the stump. I felt my stomach tighten and a sick bubble began to form from the sight of this this monster removing its head and replacing it with a goose's. And to top off the messed up factor, the goose head began to move and talk. How could a man not only remove his head, not die, and then attach a stuffed goose head... Nothing here made any sense to me. The man of a thousand faces stood firm and looked at the children at the table, and with my attention transfixed on the man, I hadn't noticed them. Every one of them was a missing child from the local area. At the foot of the table sat Kelly Roon, dressed as a stereotypical flower girl. The man of a thousand faces began walking around the table, slowly patting the children's heads, going duck, duck, duck. Every time he passed over a child, I could see the fear in their eyes, fear that was locked behind a forced, fake smile. The man continued doing circles until he stopped at a little girl roughly three seats from the left at the middle. She must have been no older than six years at the most. She wore a pretty pink dress with a flower and had a short blonde, crudely done, ball haircut. The man backed away and the girl's face dropped as she began to cry. The clown picked up the girl and threw her over his shoulder, strolling off into the darkness. Once the girl was out of sight, the man turned to face the camera, saying in a deep, almost dead voice, growl, Goose began to inch over towards the direction the clown had dragged the girl oh, i might not have been able to save robert but i might be able to save this girl when i found the concrete wall i felt around for a metal door keeping my back to the wall hoping no one on the set had seen me i slowly opened it making as little noise as possible i took one last glimpse of robert and i squeezed through the door As soon as I entered the hallway, an overpowering stench, similar to a hospital, assaulted my nose. Everything smelt so clean and sterile. The corridor in front of me was far different from the one I'd entered. Across the walls were white tiles, and the ceiling lights were now fluorescent light bulbs. As I walked down the corridor, I came across two doors opposite one another. My curious mind decided to peek inside, but I wish I hadn't inside were medical fridges all labeled with organs and ages hearts ages five to nine livers ages seven to thirteen what was this place was it some kind of surgery or something a low metal clunk drew my attention from down the hall at the far end of the hall sat a set of double doors with the name of a theater above it a reasonable person would have run far away by now but I wasn't a coward, and I didn't want that girl to die, just like every other child. I peeked my head past the doors and nearly screamed. The clown was now wearing a doctor's scrubs, a sheet of plastic as an apron. and The clown was midway through cutting open the girl who lay on a metal table. He began taking out her organs and placing them into different freezer buckets next to his feet. As I leaned in closer... I lost my footing and fell through the door, landing hard on my knee. The clown looked up from his work and we locked eyes. that moment, everything felt slowed. My adrenaline was pumping overtime and my brain was trying to think of what my best action would be. The clown began to scream a deafening high pitch and the sound of heavy boots outside the corridor alerted me that it was now time to leave. I turned and ran through the double doors only to see three headless bodies one dressed in the signature black and white checker suit and the other two naked but smooth all over similar to a kendall standing blocking the hall the sound of a motorized saw blade behind me forced my flight response and I slid under the legs of the middle man running through the metal door shoulder first and bolting it behind me I ran onto the soundstage where I was bombarded with hundreds of boos from the artificial audience. The set was now empty of children and the Man of the Thousand Faces. Well, I didn't get enough time to look over the set properly as the three headless men kicked the metal door from its hinges. I ran into the hall with all the misshapen doors and got to about midway down the hall before I realized I was running still on the spot. As I looked down. I noticed I was moving backwards towards the door to the set. I ran as fast as I could, jumping the last stretch, barely making it onto the solid floor. Behind me I heard the door smash and the three headless men push themselves through it. As I looked back, I saw one of the headless men dig his fingers into the roof and began crawling towards me. The other two men began simultaneously crawling across the side walls, parallel to each other. I reached up for the hatch on the roof of the hall, but felt a snag on my shirt. One of the headless had grabbed me. As I twisted to free myself, I could now see inside the hole of one of the headless men's neck. Inside were hundreds of metallic-like tethers and what I could only describe as blinking red light. I used all my power to kick my feet free of the headless man's grasp, sending him onto the moving floor and flying to the other side of the hall. Using this confusion, I climbed out of the hole and bolted the hatch shut before running home, stopping only to throw up from exhaustion. I frantically banged on my front door multiple times, begging to be let inside to the warmth and safety of my home. While my. Very understandably angry, Dad swung open the door, clenching the aluminum bat he kept next to his bed. He swore bloody at the top of his lungs at me and dragged me inside to bombard me with questions. We both settled down as my mother calmly walked downstairs, seeing what the commotion was about. I explained my story in full multiple times to my sleep-deprived parents. But all they did was brush it off as my overactive mind coupled with my friend's undoubted involvement i was sent to bed thoroughly annoyed that no one believed me and i just failed at saving roberts only the following days would tell i was forced into the police station the very next day i was left in a small room with a mirror and a grimy looking table After a few minutes, a rather unhealthy-looking cop entered, followed by a man in a grey business suit. The cop spoke first. Hello, son. I'm Deputy Barnard, and this is Dr. Steen. He's a psychologist from the local hospital. I looked into that doctor's eyes as he reached to shake my hand. Those eyes that I'd seen before, last night. They belonged to the 19th century clown who was butchering that poor girl. I was asked to tell them everything from last night which I did apart from mentioning the clown although I guess that part didn't matter anymore my story was laughed out at the station near enough by the deputy as for me I was to attend therapy from the man who'd started all of this going to the session was a horrible ordeal but I had to for my parents sake how could they trust me if I didn't go on the first day I attended I sat opposite the doctor. His face contorted into the smile of the clown. He asked me to recount all of the details of the night, from start to finish. Reluctant as ever, I did, and all he did was take notes. He didn't threaten me or hold me captive. He just wrote down everything. The more I attended the therapy, the easier it became to explain my story, until I accidentally let slip about seeing the clown. The doctor's grin grew ten times over hearing this, and he almost demanded I'd tell him more. But I stuck to my nerves and I refused. Week after week it was the same thing. I'd sit with the doctor and talk about that night, and once I'd finished he'd demand I'd talk about the clown, even going as far as to grab my shoulders and shake me. Eventually the pressure of the doctor getting in my face had gotten too much for me, and I broke down and told him everything. I told him what had happened with the clown and the headless men it felt so good to get it off my chest well the day I did spill everything the doctor stood from his desk walked in front of me his eyes fixated on me looking me up and down he assured me that our next session would indeed be the last after he'd made some calls for the entire week I became jittery and uneasy I couldn't eat or sleep or really do anything productive my fears of returning to the doctor had begun to ruin my life. Sadly, as is always the case, I had to return for my last therapy session. Convincing my mum had been futile since I started going there, so changing her mind now was out of the question. I sat in the doctor's room alone. It seemed odd he wasn't sat behind his desk as he always was. But as I thought it over more, the door behind me opened. I twisted quickly in my chair, hearing my back crack as I did. And as I watched who'd entered the room, I so wished I hadn't turned around. Standing in front of the door was the doctor, the clown, and the man of a thousand faces. All of them looking directly at me. Everyone pulled up a chair and formed a circle facing me. The doctor introduced me to the men sat opposite me. After our conversations, I did some digging and found out who the two individuals were that you claim kidnapped you. Friend, these two people are actors from the TV show Party Time at Frankie's. The man of a thousand faces stood up and introduced himself. Hello there, slugger. My name's David Agnew. You must have seen me play my titular hosting part, Frankie. And yeah, I know about those silly little stories and rumors about me, but as you can see... They're not true. His voice was the exact same as from when I'd heard him back at the set. As the man sat down, the clown stood up and did a little jig as he introduced himself. Hello, Sonny. My name is Alan Smithy, and I play bongo in the TV show Party Time at Frankie's. He finished his speech with a honk of his foam nose. But I know this wasn't the clown I'd seen from that night, although his body and face were pinched point accurate his eyes weren't the same the doctor placed a table in front of me and placed a metronome on it and his words went something like look deep into the metronome and hear my voice what you saw was the backstage of a children's TV show one your friend was on he ran away afterwards because he was so upset. you then saw a clown and he scared you and you ran into some mannequins, and now you're deathly afraid of them. After that, he began saying a series of unconnected words. Frankie. Clown. Thousand Faces. TV show. Party. After that, I blanked out, unable to remember anything. I did, however, start to scream and cry as I saw a clown sat opposite me. After attending the therapy, I was diagnosed with two new fears, automatonophobia, which is a fear of human-like figures that were not alive like mannequins or robots, the other being caudrophobia, a fear of clowns. I couldn't walk past shop windows without becoming afraid, nor could I attend the circus or risk breaking down at the sight of the colourful entertainers. Most of my time from then on was spent inside my room, away from my fears. Trapped and alone, but safe. Nearly an entire decade passed on with my mind scrubbed, whole years believing something that just wasn't true. Children still occasionally went missing, snatched out of their homes, but now I felt as if it wasn't my problem. i had just finished my senior year at high school and was on the lookout for a job when I came across something in the local paper headless body identified as robert powell the body of robert powell who's been missing since 1988 has been found outside the long-abandoned Miskatonic storage warehouse after an autopsy of the body commenced the blood and fingerprints were an exact match to robert's medical profile the autopsy was conducted by md Stuart stein a day after the recovery more on page 12. I began to remember Robert, how he ran away after appearing on a TV show years ago. I just couldn't remember what it was called, so I went to the only place I knew that would have some record of it, the library. I spent days, almost a week, poring over the periodicals in hope of finding something or anything. I looked over the newspapers and TV guides, just hoping for a single reference to the show. Every time I thought I drew closer, I hit a dead end. Well, I thought I'd hit the jackpot when reports of a killer dressed as a clown were spotted, but to my annoyance, it was just an article on killer clown sightings in Derry. I sat huddled in my corner of the library, away from prying eyes, as the last patrons of the day shuffled out and the night watchman began to close on me. I slammed down my fist in frustration. As I did, a horrible breeze softly slipped past me. The breeze must have knocked one of the last newspapers I couldn't reach off of the shelf somehow. As if intended for me to see, the front page lay sprawled on my lap, mocking me. My locked and troubled heart began to beat uncontrollably. There on the page was the man of a thousand faces, Frankie and the clown. The adrenaline in my veins forced me to clutch the newspaper tight as the watchmen began to usher me out i guess they didn't care too much about the newspapers because i still held it in a vice like grip i ran home not stopping for the weather nor the traffic i was completely oblivious to the world around me when i reached the safety of my room i locked my bedroom door with a deadbolt and pushed my cabinet in front of it i didn't want to be disturbed by anyone i placed the newspaper onto my desk and began studying it from every angle to a normal person it would have just been a normal copy of the arkham gazette but to me it held answers the picture on the front was of frankie and the clown standing among doctors and nurses in the children's ward of denver's state hospital the caption underneath read rogel doctors celebrate as the first child heart transplant is a success dr stein west nephew of ostracized dr herbert west proved he was indeed nothing like his uncle have been donated a heart from a donor Dr West modified and then inserted the organ into a pacemaker and successfully transplanted the organ to help with the festivities both Dr West and head nurse Michael Morgan dressed up as the children's favorite TV show characters from party time at Frankie's nurse Morgan dressed up as host Frankie who children nicknamed the man of a thousand faces and Dr West dressed up as Bongo the clown the TV show as anyone who's around in the 60s would know was called Party Time at Frankie's. It was a weekly show where children would compete for prizes. Unfortunately, due to the sad passing of Frankie's actor Randall Yates, the production was shut down and the studio was sold off to Miskatonic University. I put down the paper, trying to comprehend what I'd just read. Stranger still, as I read certain words, my head began to throb. I made it a painful note to write down the words that hurt. Frankie, Clown, a Thousand Faces, TV show, a party. I then recorded my voice on tape and began playing the words back. Everything I thought I knew was pushed away for the truth. Oh, that night I'd spent at Robert's house and how he'd been mesmerized by the TV show. The TV show, it's where everything that went bad had begun. Well, that night I stayed up late flicking through the channels on my mini-TV, trying to find the correct station. It must have been a few minutes past three when I came across the horribly made opening for the show. The obnoxious music blared from the speakers. Welcome, boys and girls, for the greatest show in the world. Put your hands together for party time at Frankie's. As soon as the show began to play, I knew something was wrong. The set looked far more professional and was shot almost like it was on a 16mm camera. When Frankie and the clown appeared, I felt shocked as they were both most definitely not the two I'd encountered years ago. In fact, this felt like an entirely different show. Every now and then I'd see a brief clip spliced into the footage. It bugged me so much that the next night I carefully took my parents' VCR and copied the show. As I watched over the tape... I became more and more aware that there was a single frame image there with great effort i managed to get the single frame on pause it was something i'd seen before a single metronome sat mid-swing with a line of text reading come to our studio to appear in an episode of miskatonic storage depot this is how they'd done it how they'd hypnotized any child who watched the show but that was going to stop now, I would make it stop. The following night, I made my way to the now derelict industrial district, just off Derby West Street. The industrial buildings all now looked hollowed and abandoned. Over the course of a few years, Arkham's industries had begun to migrate to cheaper and closer places. The only true industry left here was the surprisingly bountiful fishing trade. I walked in the shadow of corporation warehouses long since forgotten by their owners, until I reached it. The overgrown and crumbling ruins of Miskatonic storage depot. Once I found the hatch to the set, I began attempting to move it, but with no luck. It felt almost welded shut. Thinking back, I suddenly got a horrible thought. What if the way forward only opens for children? The notion left me with two viable options. Number one, I could come back with explosives and blow my way inside, but that would let everyone know I was coming. The second idea was better, but it would force my morals to be questioned. I'd have to send a child here. Two weeks slowly dragged by until I found a babysitting job. Well, nothing special or spectacular, not a celebrity or anything of the sorts. And what happened next felt like a daydream. It was the exact opposite of anything I would have normally done. I let the child watch TV until the show came on, and just like Robert did so many years ago, the child went stiff and began walking out the front door and towards the industrial district. I kept a nice pace with the child and followed him to the trap door, which opened as the child walked towards it. As I dropped down the hole, I hoped to land on the soft carpet, but instead I landed on hard concrete and shreds of ripped carpet. The hallway had not fared any better than the building outside, as all the doors of different shapes and sizes had now all but fallen apart or rotted away. I looked at the child who gleefully skipped across the floor with no resistance. I thought I wouldn't be so lucky, but as I walked I found the floor, slightly shift, and then jammed to a stop. My older brain finally clicked on to what had been happening. The corridor was actually a large treadmill, most probably made to stop unwanted visitors but like the rest of the area around me, it had withered and broken with age. I entered the already decrepit set of party time with Frankie. Time had fared no better here either. The set looked decayed and rotted. The only things that looked new were the table and chairs that sat the children. I hid behind the now rotting bleachers. Frankie walked forwards to address the cameras. He looked... Impossible, by which I mean he hadn't aged a day in well over nine years. He seemed almost perfectly preserved. And the loud cheers of children that serenaded my ears had all but become horrifically distorted, as if they were the screams of the trapped souls of the dead children. Frankie began his opening line, his voice still sounding the same as it did so long ago. Welcome, children. Today's episode is called We Can Be Friends. I placed a set of ear protectors over my pounding ears and endured the screams of the artificial audience. Children, today we have someone new to play with. Let's welcome Christy Gills. Christy, the child I was tasked with looking after, slowly walked through the large door at the back of the set and stood next to the table. Christy had also had a wardrobe change and now stood in a frilly red dress. So, Christy, tell us what game we should play. Christy thought for a minute and then asked to play hide-and-seek. Frankie removed his head and replaced it with one that left me in an angry but sad state. His head was now an older Robert, dressed to look like a pirate. In a rough version of Robert's voice, Frankie said, Ah, we play hide-and-seek then, but first we be needing to remove a crew member. I watched as the clown grabbed a boy around about 12 years old and dragged him to the metal door. and I knew what had to be done. Silently I waited and then followed the clown a few moments later. The medical hallway looked so clean and well kept, definitely not like the rest of the set. The smell of cleaning fluid and canistered oxygen still assaulted my nose, only this time I knew what it was. As I peeked through the doors down the corridor, I could finally understand what was going on. It would seem the good doctor was harvesting children's organs, possibly to sell on the black market. The other door I hadn't looked in now lay ajar, and inside lay the three headless bodies and a large collection of heads in jars. The heads sat all motionless with their eyes closed. They almost looked like they were sleeping. The liquid looked thick and a green, luminous tinge to it, giving off the feeling it was some kind of mucus. As I circled around the bodies, I got a perfect look into the hole where the heads would have been attached. Inside was a mesh of human organic tissue and metallic pipes connecting everything, At I guess I'd say it was an augmented body. I followed two large cables that dug deep into all of their chests towards the far wall. The pipe connected to some kind of power generator that was supplying them with energy and another pipe was plugged into a vat of the green liquid, pumping it into the bodies. I don't know why, but I pushed the lever on the tank down, depleting the vat to roughly a quarter full. The headless ones began to violently shake, uncontrollably, until their chests burst open, ejecting the green liquid all over the room. Next I began dragging the jars off the walls and stamping on them selection of different heads both human and animal well I didn't stop couldn't stop I stood motionless in the rooms the door flung open standing there with an expression of shock was Dr Stein still dressed in his clown gear I watched as Stein began to laugh maniacally as if some sort of joke had just been told without thinking i grabbed one of the tubes and thrust the pipe into his chest stein shrieked in pain trying to grab at the pipe but it was too late the green liquid had begun pumping into his body with his last words stein looked at me and said something a single word Ah, <sighs> my mind cast back to when i was a child in therapy Dr. Stein had stood next to me and whispered these words into my ear. Kill the headless. Kill them all. Then you will kill me and finally you must present me at the table where you shall sit and wait for the police. Stein's laughter dragged me out of my daze as he exploded in a shower of blood and the green liquid. I felt like a puppet on a string as I dragged all four bodies through the metal door and onto the set. All the children... Lay dead in their seats, having had their necks snapped. As for Frankie, he was nowhere to be seen. I heard the sirens outside, but didn't stop doing my task. I was unable to. As I sat at the table, the entire police force pushed through the entrance door, guns at the ready, and no amount of explaining in the world would get me out of this. I, was sentenced to life in prison for being a copycat stalker as well as murdering over 10 children my saving grace however wasn't much good i was given a pardon from life in prison but instead placed into arkham sanitarium it's been nearly 30 years since then so i decided to write this and well why now you might ask as you know, I'm scheduled for a lobotomy from my newly assigned therapist. The strangest thing is that he looks so similar, like a friend I had as a child. And every time we have a session together, he only says two words to me. Headless. Soon. The Game to End All games. People always talk about the blinding light of bliss and peace they see during the last moment of their life. Like there's some indescribable force that pulls them towards their final destination. A place they can see their loved ones again. An infinity of painless existence. That's nothing like what I experienced during the 18 times my heart has stopped in the past year. Apparently, Being merely 27 years old is not an excuse not to suffer from sudden cardiac death. At least, not when I had an undiagnosed heart condition called Wolf-Parkinson-White. An extra nerve in my heart put it into overdrive, and I was essentially dead for about seven minutes. Those were the best seven goddamn minutes of my entire life. After a brief moment of chest pain and my face kissing the floor, there wasn't a hint of pain in my being anymore. To the best of my knowledge, I was still on earth, but somehow wandering the streets in front of my childhood home. I saw my parents playing with a younger version of myself in the garden, running around on a beautiful summer's day chasing me with a water hose. My mum was holding a couple of ice cream cones for me and my dad, was a moment of pure bliss locked safely in my fondest memories. My life didn't flash by and I was simply trapped in a beautiful moment and although I knew I'd died I felt no fear. However long I spent watching myself it was simply not meant to last. Before long I was violently jolted back into reality as they shocked my heart into a normal rhythm. I woke up for a brief moment, screaming in agony before passing out once more, something I don't remember, but was told by the nurses after the fact. They sorted out my heart as best they could, cut the extra nerve, and kept me in the hospital for observation. I had survived unscathed from the ordeal, and after a bit of healing, they allowed me to go home. Well, call it limbo. The place in between, or friggin' afterlife. Whatever you name it, I knew I needed to go back. Unfortunately, the internet doesn't offer much in terms of the afterlife. I suppose they have bad internet reception there. (laughs) So, I resorted to the next best thing. Forums about people who had temporarily died but returned from the brink of their own demise. Searching for that, I found well, exactly what you'd expect. The bright light, the tunnel, and even some who claimed there existed nothing but darkness. Their experiences might have been just as real as my own, but ever so slightly different, and definitely not what I was looking for. I ventured deeper, checking out methods of suicide. Now, don't get me wrong... I absolutely did not wish to leave this life quite so soon, but there had to be a way to hmm, temporarily die and then get brought back without permanent damage. Of course, Googling suicide only served to get me a list of prevention hotlines, so that was a short and unsuccessful mission. Even the deep web had little more to offer. A few forums that weren't listed on any casual browser Some with different experiences. People coming back with a profound new respect for life. And others who wanted nothing more than just to remain dead. Well, one click link led to another. And before I knew it, I had ventured far down the rabbit hole to a website no person was ever meant to enter. Without providing a link, it was simply titled The Suicide Game. It was plainly designed like any other forum, seemingly originating from the early days of the internet. Only text, no images. The posts varied from questions on what to expect from death and what people had seen on the other side. Holy shit. What just happened? By the returned. What's the longest you've ever been dead for? By dead man 20. Any advice for a first timer? By. A bit afraid, too. Well, you get the gist. There was a sticky post lingering at the top of the page that caught my attention. Submitted by the sole user marked as an admin. Their name was Lazarus. How to temporarily kill yourself by Lazarus. Without hesitation, I clicked the link. would either be legit, or just a scam to somehow get money, or provide a free virus for my computer. Either way, I would quickly discover the truth. Are you brave enough to have a peek on the other side of life? Finally get a first-hand answer about what happens once we die? Maybe you've already had a glimpse and want more, but without the mess of actually staying dead. Then... Mortinux might just be for you. Hmm, a catchy description, I thought to myself, as I scrolled a bit further down, only to be met by a much more serious message. Warning, read the following before purchasing Mortinux. Individuals who suffer from a chronic heart, liver or kidney disease, as well as psychological disorders, should refrain from using Mortinux in any capacity. The drug will temporarily stop your heart from one to three minutes by altering nerve conductivity between your atrioventricular node and Pukinja system. The electrical activity is quickly restored as the drug dissolves and you will be back to normal. Instructions on dosage will follow your order. Do not, under any circumstances, exceed recommended dosage or frequency of administration. Baggage content, 24 sublingual tablets, delivery time, 5 to 7 days. Don't believe us? Try a sample of free tablets, free of charge. I clicked on the last link for the free sample. Yeah, taking drugs from a stranger is objectively a bad idea, but honestly, who'd voluntarily part with expensive drugs just to mess with someone? Even though I had suffered a heart attack, the doctors had assured me it would not occur again, after having undergone treatment. After all, I was still a young man with a rare but treatable heart condition. I waited five days, and the sample arrived in my mail, conveniently disguised as regular vitamin C tablets. I locked myself in and read the instructions. It was pretty much the same as advertised on the website, with some advice on where to take the pills and to have some water and food prepared for your recovery. After little consideration, I thoughtlessly put one of the pills under my tongue. It burned slightly as it dissolved in my mouth. I counted my breaths nervously, holding one hand on my chest to see if it was working. Darkness. I don't even remember going out. Stripped from my body, I found myself walking inside an unfamiliar house. A family sat in a small living room, warmly lit up by a burning fireplace. Their windows were covered by a thin layer of snow, and a beautifully decorated Christmas tree stood idly in the corner, protecting a pile of colourful presents. A young couple sat snuggled up in a sofa, watching as their little son ran around with an excited smile on his face. It must have been quite early in the morning, because it was still dark outside. The kid grabbed one of the presents and tore off the wrapping paper. Their shared bliss froze me in place. I could feel their warmth as I watched them just living their best life, not a care in the world as long as they had each other. The son shrieked in excitement, as he discovered a set of tiny model cars hidden within his presence. He instantly started playing around, making pretend races with his new toys. It was the purest moment I had ever seen. Their happiness radiated towards me, filling me with unspeakable joy. The crackling fireplace emitting its angelic sound, getting louder by each passing second. In fact... It was too loud. A log had somehow fallen out, and a spark had set fire to the curtains. I yelled out for the family, but I was nothing more than an invisible observer in their world. Within a minute, the room became engulfed in flames, and the distracted family had not noticed it in time to get out. The door was blocked by flames, and I could do nothing but to watch helplessly or they burned to death in their home. I violently gasped for air as I was brought back into the real world. I still heard the helpless screams of the family echoing in my ears. In real life, only a couple of minutes had passed, but it felt much longer in purgatory. I'm not ashamed to admit I wept, Throughout my life, I've had loss, my parents dying at a young age from terrible disease. I've gone broke due to student debt, and have had some trouble finding a place in life, but nothing compared to watching that family hopelessly being trapped with no chance of escape. Two pills remained from the free sample I'd received, and I threw them both away without a second thought. I wouldn't voluntarily go through that again. A couple of weeks passed as I attempted to push the memory of the ordeal to the deepest pit of my mind, pretending it had been no more than a horrible nightmare. But (laughs) life's a bitch, and then you die, quite literally in my case. By some stroke of luck, I had landed an interview, but on my way to said meeting, I suffered another massive heart attack. My chest was pounding. Pain stretching down my arm and to my back. I couldn't breathe, nor call for help. I simply fell to the ground, clutching my chest, once again enveloped in blinding, everlasting darkness. There were no illusions of pleasantries awaiting me on the other side that time. I was plunged straight into a nightmare of sorrow. I stood on a quiet road in the middle of God knows where surrounded by tall trees protecting the place from sight. I had nowhere to go. A car lied smashed to bits on the side of the road. A woman, clearly broken by the impact, was hanging halfway out of the door, while a man desperately yelled for help. His phone had died on impact, and he had no means to call for anyone. No way to save his dying wife. Again, I was watching the worst moment of someone's life. A man who sobbed while he told the woman he loved as she slipped away into the afterlife. Despite the pain I shared with them in that moment, I also felt the presence of something even darker looming over me. I looked around to get a glimpse of silhouette in the distance, disappearing as fast as I fixated my eyes on it. It appeared humanoid, but much taller in stature. Before I could do anything else, I was dragged back to life. Now, let me tell you, the pain from the cracked ribs after having an inexperienced person performing chest compressions on you is not something you want to feel after waking up from death for the third time. But somehow, I had returned to the land of the living once more. According to the doctors, my heart was now permanently damaged. Not from the initial disease, but because of trauma. They told me the first heart attack was the cause. Lack of oxygen for seven minutes and all that. But, well, I knew better. That damned pill was the culprit. After frantically searching for the website, doing my best to retrace the steps I'd taken last time, I finally stumbled upon the suicide game once more. "Mm, Welcome back, a pop-up message displayed, remembering that I'd previously received an order of pills. There hadn't been a single new post since my last visit. I jotted it down to being an obscure website no sane person would visit. But as I scrolled down, I noticed that the forum had been quite the active place until just one month ago. Most of the posts were about expectations and experiences. No sign of any complaints. But I kept browsing, clicking further back on the forum until I finally found something that matched my predicament. The post simply said, I think I brought something back with me from the other side. I clicked on the link with a trembling finger, both hopeful and afraid to learn the answer. So, I've been using the pill for about a month now, and honestly, it was the most amazing month of my life. I've seen things I could never dream of, and most of my lifelong questions have been answered in one way or another. But, well, it's not the same anymore. He used to be so pleasant, so nice, but now, well, I keep seeing people dying around me. There's something else with me when I go there. Just like these shadows that are following me around. At first, I thought I'd taken too many pills or something, but now I keep seeing them in real life. I don't know what to do. Is this a side effect of the drug? I'm sorry if this isn't too coherent, but I'm freaking the fuck out. That was his last entry. A few other people commented similar experiences, giving the silhouetted figures a name. The Shadow People. Some of the users suggested stopping the pills, while others said to just ignore the shadows as they weren't interfering. Nothing there. Could help someone like myself who regularly suffered from unexplainable heart attacks even when not using the drugs oh. had i not thrown away the remaining pills maybe the doctors could have helped me but i was doomed by my own hand or trying to play with death i'd invited it into my life they did what they could giving me some antiarrhythmic medication and an implantable defibrillator. It could buy me some time, but the doctors were not hopeful for my prognosis, saying I could last a few years if I turned out to be very lucky. It wouldn't even be a month before I suffered another heart attack. The defibrillator tried its best to put my heart back into sinus rhythm, but during that time... I once again faced another horrific sight. Despite being unconscious for less than a minute, it appeared that time passed very differently while in limbo. What met me on the other side was nothing less than a massive natural disaster. An earthquake in a country I couldn't recognize. Structures had fallen around me, and all that echoed through the air with the cries of despair. I couldn't understand the language, but the pain, well, that needed no translation. I walked around to see people crushed by fallen concrete. Some were trapped, while others were moments from death. My eyes met those of a man gasping his last breath. But when his lights went out for the last time, I could have sworn he stared back at me. He understood what was about to happen. A sense of peace falling over him as he knew he was no longer alone. He had passed on to whatever realms exist after death. But for a brief moment, we had been together in purgatory. I remain in solitude. I walked around the ruins of what used to be the home of thousands of people, witnessing destruction far beyond anything they could cope with shadow people lurked in my peripheral vision. They were just like the silhouette I'd seen before, but clearer this time, undoubtedly humanoids. They simply stared at me as I wandered around, pitying the traumatized citizens. I was repeatedly brought back from purgatory, never being allowed to simply remain dead and finally move on. Each time, I would be greeted by horrific sights, intertwined with the shadows studying my every move in their domain. In the coming months, I would die fourteen more times, never permanently, naturally, but enough to realize I had meddled with something I was never supposed to. I knew it, and the shadow people knew it. Little by little, they started following me back from limbo. They were everywhere, never interfering, never approaching, simply observing me as if I were some sort of pathetic lab rat. There's a fine line between life and death, a brief moment where people exist in purgatory. For most, this is nothing more than a short journey on the road to a better place. But for some who are stuck, this can be an everlasting nightmare the moment of death. I know they can see me, and I do my best to assure them. Whether I am being kept alive by the efforts of the doctors, or by the mysterious pill I consumed so long ago, I don't know. I'm just patiently awaiting the day I can finally rest. My only comfort while I wait is to provide the passing people with with a brief moment of peace as they accept their fate. Okay, so a couple of lovely stories there to get your week started off in style, and um, well, I'm going to ask you something. Um, I've been looking into the old classics, ones that are available in the public domain, like on a worldwide basis, and um, the couple that I've found are, well, obviously Dracula and Frankenstein, and um, I'm thinking of doing some recordings, and now they're both big-ass books, so it's going to take me quite a while to do... Um, If you like the idea, let me know. Uh, If you have a preference for which one you'd like me to do first, let me know that too. And they may find their way onto the channel here in a month or two or three or four, however long it takes me to do it. But um, yeah, it's uh, something I've wanted to do for quite a while. The old classics, and like I said, uh, there's nothing, no kind of legal basis for me not doing them. So, let me know what you think of that. Hope you enjoyed those two stories this evening. Back again. Oh, days? It's Monday, isn't it? (gasps) These weeks are flying by. Okay, back again here on Wednesday. Maybe something on the other channel on Tuesday. If not, then an extra special podcast coming up on Thursday. I think nine or ten stories all based around, um, well, all centred around Alaska. Um, A lot of stuff that hasn't appeared anywhere else before. So please tune in for that. It's going to be a good one. Well, till next time, very, very sweet dreams and bye-bye.